0: Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us back here. Um, I know some of the students did not have restful weekends uh, and worked 20 hours straight. Uh, And uh, I do pray that you would give us the energy and the focus that we need this morning as we contemplate who you are and, and why that is good news for us, that the God we worship is the way that he is. Um, Be with us, help us to understand these ideas that are present in your holy word, and we ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so we're going to start off today with 7.1, and then hopefully we will move into 7.2. Last week uh, was a little bit odd because I decided to do that uh, Matthew Barrett... Uh, Sermon, and so that um, you know, it wasn't quite as much just like me lecturing, but I think that was good. Um, I think I think uh, maybe we need to incorporate some stuff like that because I think Dr. Barrett, you know, he's much smarter than I am. Uh, I'm very open to admitting that. Uh, Dr. Barrett is like way up there. Uh, I'll be honest, I sat through that class with him. I think I told you about that seminar that I sat through with him, Uh, and I was just mesmerized. I was like, you know, I've never, I don't think I've ever been around someone as intelligent as this guy. So, um, that got us off a little bit, but, um, we're going to start here with 7.1 and, um, we're going to call it attributes of God. Um, do we have to have one that went by that title? Oh. Classical, Classical attributes. Yeah, this is good. We're going to talk here about attributes of God. Attributes, we said, um, are, are characteristics of a person, things that are true about a person. Mr. Gravet has a beard. Uh, Mr. Gravid is a father, attributes of Mr. Gravit, right? Uh, you might think about your, uh, your your grandma who bakes you cookies whenever you're sad. And you might say a, a characteristic, an attribute of grandma is that she's very gentle, she's very kind. Or you might think about a friend that you have and say that person is very patient and very forgiving. These are all attributes of a person. And so we are going to talk about some, some attributes of God today, and um, I want... To start with you guys, I say attributes of God, characteristics (laughs) of God. What are some of the first ones that would pop into your mind? God is, how would you describe him? What, what, what? Okay, God is love. He is love. He is loving. (coughs) Uh, What else? Just. Just. I heard just. Meaning he is is fair. He does what is right. I hear holy. What else? Light. What? Light. God is light. Okay, First John says that. And and what does that mean whenever he says God is light? what what? Uh, that's kind of metaphorical. What is he meaning whenever he says God is light? He says God is light. There is in him no darkness at all, 1 John 1, 5. God, no evil. Is good. Yeah, no evil. He's good. Uh, he's pure. Those things would kind of go under uh, holiness. Um, in the context of 1 John 2, it's that God tells the truth. He's truthful. He doesn't lie to us. What else could we put up there? Okay, gentleness. This is, uh, uh, especially the prophets of the Old Testament, like talking about the gentleness of God towards his children, towards his people. Yes? Perfect. All right, perfection. Plato likes that one a lot. And since he's perfect, he does not change. change. Good. So we could, what's the word for God doesn't change? Immutable, good. And if God is immutable, following from that is that he is impassable. All right? Um, where does God come from? We do not know. has no beginning. Okay, no beginning or no end. We could put the word eternal there. All right? Uh, uh, we are created. God is uncreated. According to Scripture, he has no beginning and no end. Uh, what else could we put there? He's compassionate. Compassionate—that's the one that uh, Scripture uses the most to describe him. Uh, sometimes we uh, do compassionate. Sometimes we will translate that same word, merciful. All right. So he's compassionate. He's merciful. Jealous. What? Jealous. Jealous. Yes, that's really important in the book of Numbers. And what it means by God being jealous, in Scripture there's a difference between being covetous or envious and being jealous. Uh, Whenever it talks about God's jealousy, his jealousy, uh, you know, is the way that I would be jealous for McKinsey, Right. Some guy starts messing with McKinsey. My jealousy is going to kick in and it's going to lead me to defend her, to fight for her. You know, I I am McKinsey's and McKinsey is mine. We are married to one another. There's a a mutual belonging there. And so if we are God's people, he is jealous over us. He will fight for us. He'll he'll, he'll be on our side. Uh, That also means that he wants there to be no other gods before him. The same way that a husband would would not want a wife to have other other men. All right, so he's jealous. What else? What'd you say? All right, very powerful, yes. Uh, The the word that we often use for this is that he is omnipotent. Potent uh, has to do with power. Omni means all, so he is all-powerful, omnipotent. Where is God? He's everywhere. Uh, Everywhere. So the word that we use for that one is omnipresent. He is present all places, present everywhere. Uh, God, in, in Scripture, it says that he knows the beginning from the end. He knows all things. We call that his omniscience. He knows all things um all right so we have these up here these are all different attributes of god we could spend a lot of time going through each and every one of them we've gone through a few of them uh but we could spend a lot of time looking at relevant biblical passages talking about how does the bible explain each one of these what does it mean for us uh we could do all of that we we don't quite have time to run through that entire list in that way and i I think that you know uh You've, most of you have been in church for a lot of your life. You've, you've heard people teach on these different attributes of God. You have a pretty good understanding of what it means that God is faithful, that he is good, that he is patient, uh, all of these types of things. What I want to do is introduce two vocabulary words that we use to classify God's attributes. These, um, these vocabulary words, I'm going to put them in a different color uh off to the side right here they are the words communicable and incommunicable what does communicable what word does communicable kind of look like communicate Communicate. so god's communicable attributes are attributes he can communicate to you. They are the attributes, the things that are true about his character that you can share to a degree, all right? So they are things that God is, that God has, that you also, to some extent, can have and and show as well. So what would be some examples up on the board of communicable attributes, things that are true of God that can also, in a lesser degree, be true of you too. Kind. Yeah. Okay. So where where is actually we don't have kindness up here, do we? Uh, that is one in scripture, though. All right. So the kindness of God. Uh, well, you can also be kind. So that would be a communicable attribute. What are what other ones up there? Huh? Truthful. Yeah. So the truthful. That's a communicable attribute. That's something that, that describes God that can also describe human beings. What else? Merciful. Yeah, compassionate and merciful would be one. Gentle. The gentle would be one. You can show mercy to people. The scripture tells you to do that. You can be gentle with people. The scriptures tell you to do that. What did you say, Aubrey? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Be holy holy as the Lord your God is holy, Leviticus 19.2, repeated in 1 Peter 1. Now, again, what we're saying here is not that we can be holy in the exact same way that God is holy, right? Because one of the attributes we could put up here is God's infinity, Infinity would mean that God is holy, is, is, is infinitely holy. He is infinitely loving, right? Uh, we aren't infinite. We are finite. So these are things that we can show to something of a lesser degree. But you are right. Um, and does Scripture call us to be just people? Yeah, so it calls us to be loving, calls us to be just. Be holy as I am holy is one of the most repeated refrains throughout all of Scripture for God's people. Uh, does Do the scriptures call you to be good? Yes, that would be a communicable attribute. Now, are you ever going to be good in the exact same way that God is good? No, but to a lesser degree, that's something that you can share in. Um, let's skip these for now. What about eternal? Are you eternal? No. Yeah. No, this would be an incommunicable attribute. An incommunicable attribute is something that describes God that cannot describe you, all right? So, um, human beings in scripture, uh, we are told that human beings are everlasting, which means uh, even whenever our bodies die, our souls live on. We have eternity in heaven, eternity in hell. Our souls are things that last, but they're things that had a beginning. So, everlasting means if something is everlasting, it has a beginning but it has no end. Eternal means no beginning and no end. So, are we eternal? No, because we have a beginning. So, uh, the attribute of being eternal is something that is an incommunicable attribute. Being uncreated. Are you created or uncreated? Created. created. So this is an incommunicable attribute. All right? Um, the jealousy of God, would that be communicable or incommunicable? <coughs> yep, that one would be communicable, like we said. Um, you know, uh, a husband or a wife can be jealous for their spouse. Uh, can you be omnipotent? Mm. No, that, that is incommunicable. Right? Can you have power? Can you have strength? Yes. All right. So if we were talking, if we had up here instead God's power or God's strength, you could call that communicable. But being all powerful is that something that human beings that are finite? Can you can can a finite human being possess infinite power? No. no. What about omnipresence? That's also. In good that's also incommunicable uh finite human beings can know a whole bunch of stuff right you ever met a finite human being that knows a whole bunch of stuff you've met some that think they know a whole bunch of stuff at least right uh you've met some people that are very very intelligent all right what about omniscience though are they going to know everything are they going can a finite human brain have infinite knowledge Mm. so this one would be incommunicable Uh, God's infinity would be incommunicable. Yeah, I think so, too. So, um, this is a good classification. Let's talk about these last three up there. All right? Um, In this day and age, in this present world, um, are human beings going to be perfect? You ever met a perfect person? You've met some people that think they're perfect. met any of those right Uh, in this in this present world though um human beings are not going to achieve any sort of perfection um according to scripture though in heaven and in the new heavens and new earth are you going to be a sinner christ is uh it says in the book of hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 that the lord jesus perfected For all time, those who are being saved. So, I would be tempted to put perfection as a communicable attribute because, in the eternal state, in the new heavens and new earth, I think that this is a word that Scripture uses to describe people. But again, is that perfect to the extent that God is a perfect being? There's still a separation between the two, right? I would be tempted to put this one communicable, but I could also understand people wanting to say it's incommunicable. So I'm not going to give a hard and fast answer on that one. I think that uh, it would make sense to kind of go either way on that one. Um, Immutability, I think, is kind of the same way. It depends on what we mean by that. Right now, we are people who change all the time we go from being doing the right thing to doing the wrong thing rather quickly sometimes don't we uh we are people who are constantly in a a state of of flux a state of change um you know i think that you could make a case either way for the eternal state i don't know if that's really uh spelled out well in scripture so i'm not going to mark that one all right um god god is totally unchanging uh, human beings in the eternal state we will no longer be sinners uh, and so we could we could kind of raise a question about that one you know are we going to be the same yesterday today and forever as, as Christ is you know we're um, the goodness that we possess in that state will never go away it will never diminish it will never change so maybe you could use that word to describe believers in glory maybe you wouldn't Uh, I think, uh, depending on how we define that term, we could go either way with that one. So let's not mark it. Impassibility is really interesting. Um, This is my two-second little rabbit trail. Uh, We're not going to mark it either. And the reason why is, um, you guys know Scripture teaches the resurrection of the body, right? Right? Uh, whenever christ returns those who have been in heaven as souls will return with him our bodies will be raised our souls will be rejoined to them they'll be reanimated according to first corinthians 15 and a number of other passages as well Um, a lot of christians have wanted to maintain that one of the things that will be different about our bodies after the resurrection than our bodies now is that they will have the attribute of impassibility meaning uh, in the eternal state, are we going to get scrapes and bruises and cancer and all of that sort of junk anymore? Yeah. Our bodies won't suffer, decay anymore. They'll be raised imperishable uh, and, and immortal, according to 1 Corinthians 15. Thomas Aquinas uses the word impassibility to describe our bodies in that state. Um, it's not clear to me that he's using that in the exact same way that he uses it whenever he talks about the impassibility of God. But that is a term that a lot of Christians throughout history have kind of wanted to apply to the eternal state in one sense or another. So I'm not going to mark that there either. Uh, Is that an appropriate word to use for glorified Christians uh, after the resurrection? Maybe. Uh, Really, again, kind of depends on what we mean by that. So... um, One more time, though. Communicable attributes, those are the ones that God has that we can share in to a degree. Things like love and faithfulness and compassion, uh, uh, characteristics like that. Incommunicable means that they are attributes we do not and cannot share in. God's uncreatedness, uh, God's omnipresence. Those are things that, as finite created human beings, we can't share in. So, any question about these two terms? um, You'll want to be able to know what the definitions of these are and either quickly define them or be able to match them to the definition, uh, it might be a good question for me to, like, list four attributes and say which of these is incommunicable. But if you know what the definitions are, you'll be able to match those. And I wouldn't use, the, I wouldn't use these on a test, right? I would use uh, the ones that are really cut, like clear-cut, right? Um, that, would, that would be a little bit unfair. So I would, I would only use ones that are clear-cut. Is that what your question was going to be? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good here? No questions? All right. Let's move on. Now we get to jump into a very fun issue. I think you may not, but I do. So deal with it. Um, The very fun issue to jump into now is we are transitioning – to talk about, uh, we've been talking about scripture. Then we started talking about the doctrine of God, uh, and now we are transitioning to talk about a whole new topic, which is uh, the doctrine of creation and the doctrine of humanity. And so, Sorry, would this be seven point two? I'm about to put that on board. So 7.2, which I, I told you I hoped we would get into here, and we did it pretty quickly. Um, one of the top things, one of the first things we need to talk about whenever we start thinking about creation is this phrase that humanity is created in the image and the likeness of God. So um, this is what we read in Genesis chapter 1. God creates, in Genesis chapter 1, in the space of six days. In the first three days, we'll talk about this later this week, in the first three days, he makes different realms of existence, all right? He creates the dry land, the sea, the sky, and then in the next three days of creation, he fills those things with living beings. Plants, and fish, and birds, and animals, and finally, the last, and the one that winds up getting the most attention. Uh Genesis is saying it's the most important one is people. And whenever God creates uh human beings in Genesis chapter 1 starting in verse 26, God says, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So men and women in the text are made in the very image of God. We have to think about what does that phrase, image of God, mean? It's something that human beings have that no other thing in creation possesses. Human beings alone are said to be made in the image and likeness of God. Angels don't have it. Dogs don't have it. Peacocks don't have it. Succulents that you put on your windowsill at home, because that's the only planet that you can find that don't die. They don't have it. All right. What is the image and likeness of God? What have you guys heard before? Uh, we'll start there. What, what have you heard the image and likeness of God is? The knowledge of right and wrong. Okay, moral knowledge between right and wrong. Uh, human beings, you know, uh, a, a, if, if a, if a my, my parents have a dog, and the dog, uh, this past weekend, my boys were up there, and the dog got way too friendly with, a couple of, with, with the boys a couple of times and the dog wound up getting in trouble for this made the boys cry the dog recognized that it was in trouble you've seen dogs do that kind of tuck the tail and start getting really droopy right you know animals in a in a sense can kind of know okay i'm in trouble i did something i'm not supposed to do you ever come home and your dog like tore up something and the dog like looks guilty right all right do animals though know right and wrong in the way that you know right and wrong? No, they are not moral creatures in the way that you are. So some people have suggested that being made in the image of God has to do with that. You have a capacity for moral decision making that nothing else in creation has. You are called to do what is right. You are responsible whenever you do wrong in a way that, that, that the animal kingdom is not. All right. What else have you heard? Okay. Conscience. You have a conscience. So kind of going along with the moral stuff. All right. What else? Anybody heard anything else? Oh, you've heard people say that it kind of means like you physically look like God in some way. What would be the difficulty with that view? Well, God's Do what? Yeah, Scripture says God is spirit in First John, or in, in John chapter 4, not 1 John 4, in John 4 it says God is spirit uh, and it also says in first Timothy six, God dwells in unapproachable light. And you get this idea throughout scripture that people don't, don't see God. Right. So, uh, there, there, um, that is a very, I'm glad Emma brought that up because that is a very, like, I, I hear that every time I teach. It means that we physically, like God has ears like we do or something like that. Right. Um, that one is pretty hard in, in light of scripture to maintain, but it is a very prevalent answer to this question. So it's really good that we bring that up. What else? What else have you heard image of God means? Anybody heard anything else? Hopefully if you had me for old Testament, you heard something else, but uh, you may not remember it. Here's what it means. Um, in the ancient world that Israel lived in, in the days of the old Testament, the word image was a very, very popular word. Where did it appear most of the time? Idols. Idols. Good. In the ancient world, you worshipped, if you, if you weren't part of Israel's religion, if you were part of the Canaanite religion or Egyptian religion, you worshipped idols. Which means this. Uh, you would build, okay, you have a, a god, let's say you're worshipping Baal. All right, Bel is the big god of the Canaanites. You worship Bel. All right, you're going to have a temple dedicated to Bel. You're going to build a little statue that is called an idol, and you're going to place it in the temple of Bel, and you believe that Bel comes and dwells in that statue. You're going to go, and you're going to bow down to that statue. You're going to offer sacrifices to it. You're going to worship it. That statue, a lot of times we say it is the idol, the biblical word for it is that it is an image of Bel. An image of one of these false gods is a statue that represents that God. Right? It, is, uh, it is a statue that, uh, that, that symbolizes that God and sometimes tries to encapsulate something of, of what that God is, is like. Right? Um, if you were to go into Bel's temple and break the statue of Bel, what would happen to you? you? Yeah, you would be in big, big trouble. Because that statue, to, to desecrate that statue, to attack that statue, it's like you're trying to attack who? Bell himself, as if he were written right. Um, that statue represents Bell, so to deface it, to do something bad to it, is to dishonor the deity it stands for, that it represents. Uh, This is one of the reasons why in the Ten Commandments, you have the first commandment, have no other gods before me. The second commandment is you shall make no graven images, no graven images, right? This is where that word image most shows up, a statue that represents a a, a god, right? This is also used um, especially by the Egyptians. The land of Egypt is very, very powerful in the days of the Old Testament, They're actually in charge of Canaan, by the way. Canaan has to pay taxes to Egypt uh, around the time of the Exodus. Uh, There's a letter where the Canaanites write to the Egyptians and say, hey, we've been paying taxes for a long time so that you would protect us. There is this really, really scary people that is coming to attack us. Please help. And the Egyptians write back and say, no, probably the Israelites, right? Um, So the... um, The land of Egypt is very powerful in the days uh, of of Moses and around that time. And so the pharaoh, uh, he has this enormous domain that is all under his control. He has one city he can live in, though. He can't travel, even within a calendar year, to all the places that he owns and rules. So what he does is he's going to go to some of these cities, and he's going to set up very large statues of himself. So that whenever you walk down the street, you see the statue and you remember who is in charge. This is Pharaoh's territory. Now again, if you were to uh, desecrate that statue of Pharaoh, what would happen to you? Death. Because it's like you are doing something bad to Pharaoh himself. All right? It's it's an image that represents uh, the one who created it. So... In the Hebrew religion, in the religion of of the Bible, you are not supposed to worship God by making images. The reason why is that God has already made an image of himself and its human beings. In the Old Testament, uh, if, if you're thinking about this Egyptian thing or this bell thing, the image represents the king or represents the God. You are supposed to be a representative of the one who created you. To be made in the image of God, think of it more like a verb than a noun. You are supposed to represent the God who made you. You are supposed to represent the Lord. Being made in God's image has to do with representation. In the text, Adam and Eve are made in the image and likeness of God, and then they are told to rule over creation, have dominion, subdue the earth. As they do that, they are supposed to reflect what God's character is like. They are supposed to rule the creation, not in a domineering, terrible way, but in the way that the Lord would rule it, showing gentleness, kindness, compassion. They are supposed to show forth the attributes of God. To be made in God's image means that you have a calling to have the attributes which God has, the communicable ones. Everybody has the image of God. Everybody images God to one extent or another. The question is, are you going to be a good one or a bad one? We're all called to image God correctly. Whenever we sin, we fail to do that. We're we're being bad representations of what God is like. We're called to be good representations of what he is like. So, the image of God, think of it as a verb. It has to do with representation. Um, You are supposed to act the way that God would act. The other thing that is tied in with it is, we said a moment ago, the Egyptian king will set up these images, and they are signs of his kingship. You, as God's image, are signs that God is king. Is there really anywhere that you can look on the face of all of this planet and not find human beings? The answer is no, because if you go to that place, there's a human being there. You are there. Anywhere that God's image is, is a place where God rules and where he demands uh, people submit to his kingship. He is is saying anywhere where there is one of his images, I am Lord right here. He is Lord of all of the earth. And so as we see other human beings made in the image of God, it is a sign of his rulership, a sign of his kingship. Along with this as well, uh, the image and likeness language that appears in Genesis 1 when the Lord creates Adam. It also appears in Genesis chapter 5. It says in Genesis 5, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. So Adam has a son named Seth, and Seth is in the image and likeness of Adam. Adam is Seth's what? Father, right? Right? Seth is in the image and likeness of Adam, his father. What does that imply about God's relationship to Adam? Like God is Adam's father. It's it's kind of like God is Adam's father. In the genealogy of Jesus, which we find in Luke chapter 3, it traces it back all the way to Adam. And the very last verse of that chapter says, um, And Seth was the son of Adam. And Adam, the son of God. There is a father-son relationship. Uh, Whenever it says we are made, or we can say father, uh, son, and daughter, right? Um, Whenever we are made in the image and likeness of God, it means that we are made to be part of God's family. We are made to be in that sort of tight-knit relationship with him. Emma. So, so if Adam is in the image and likeness of God, and Seth is in the image and likeness of Adam, then how do you explain how we're God's children? Because wouldn't it just go down the lineage? I'm just a bit confused on how. So, image of God is something given to Adam, and then passed from Adam to Seth. Oh. okay. Right. So, and then passed from Seth onto his kids and. and Right, it's something that's passed on from generation to generation. And, and really quickly, um, we have the idea in Scripture, Jesus is God's only begotten son. Right? What's the difference between Jesus' sonship and Adam's sonship? How would you describe that? Good. Adoption. Jesus is a son by nature, and by right, we are sons by adoption. Right? Uh, Henry and Simon are my sons. By nature and by right, if we were to adopt a kid, that person would also be my son, would be brought into the family, but would be through adoption. Right? They're not physically descended from me. There's there's no sort of uh, of, of connection like that. Right? Um, in the, in a legal sense, they would be my son. They would have all the benefits of sonship, but uh, there that, that would be the difference there. Anybody, any human being that is. Uh, A son or daughter of God is one through adoption, not by uh, sharing a oneness with God the way that Christ does. So being made in the image of God, these are three things you should know that it means. It means that you are created to represent God, to share those communicable attributes, to show them forth, to represent him and reflect uh, his character. Being made in the image of God also means that every human being is a sign and a testimony to the kingship of God over creation. He is Lord of all because his images are scattered all throughout the earth. It also means that we are created to have a familial relationship with God, to be part of this family. Okay, questions on this? I think that the moral part that we highlighted, the conscience that Landon talked about, kind of the moral aspect that Logan talked about, could fall right here. There's a moral responsibility uh, that comes with being made in God's image, right? We are called to represent Him well, not represent Him poorly. Um, some people try to make the argument that the uh, image of God is found in our ability to be rational, to reason. To be logical, right? Uh, you guys, some of you are in DE math, where you're doing very abstract math problems. A parrot cannot do that, right? You have a capacity for knowledge that animals, most animals do not have, right? You have a capacity for knowledge that you take the smartest dolphin, the smartest ape, whatever it is, there are things that human beings can deal with, problems that we can, 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 can understand and and, uh, and, and talk about and debate about. There are things that we can deal with logically and rationally that animals cannot. And so some people try to say, that is where the image of God is found. It's in man's ability to be logical and rational. Um, I am very uncomfortable with that personally because um, kind of two reasons to think through that. According to scripture, how many human beings have the image of God? All, all right? Um, are there classes of human beings that, for one reason or another, cannot really achieve that level of logic and, and reason? Yeah. What would be some? Yeah, mentally impaired. Yeah, people who have pretty severe. You know, there, um, there, there are some people. Um, who uh, you know have certain processing difficulties or stuff like that, but they can still are, are very high functioning right there are people that have um, some sort of mental impairment to the point where uh, you know they'll be 25 and still can't say they're ABCs right uh, we've we've all probably met people like that that um, because of some uh, some some Handicap that they're kind of dealing with they don't have that capacity the same way that a lot of people do are they still made in the image of god though they are so i would be really uncomfortable finding the image of god in ability to reason be rational because does that exclude a part of humanity well if it does that's not what image of god is because image of god is something for everyone um what would be other classes of, of people that don't have that reasoning capacity That's a good one, but there's more. Murderers. There can be very smart murderers. Hmm? Well, just people who don't achieve, because, like, education trains you kind of to have that capacity, and in places where there's not much education, they don't have the practice to have that capacity, so they're not as smart as other people. Yeah, that... that. View of the image of God does run an interesting risk that emma 's highlighting there i 'm um, more educated am i 'm more logical i 'm more rational am I somehow more in the image of God and you 're also in the image of God, but much lesser you know we don 't want to run a risk like that too you know yeah that that well the there have been groups of christians before that have taught multiple images and use that to justify things like slavery white supremacy things like that and that's i don't think that we want to go that direction with with how we define it uh, another way to think about it is um you know we want to be able to say that small children babies uh even the unborn are made in the image of god that would be a very biblical principle uh, that there is dignity of life because even in the womb People are made in the image of God. Uh, You can find that in the book of Psalms. You can find that in the uh, Levitical and and Deuteronomical law codes. Um, So, you know, a a baby in the womb, obviously, you know, brain is not very developed there, does not have much capacity for reason or logic, but is also in the image of God. So um, we want to find the image of God in things that every single human being no matter whether they're inside the womb, outside the womb, whether uh, you know, they are very high-functioning or very low-functioning, we want to be able to find it in something that every human being shares, which I think what we've put on the board there does that. Okay. So, um, again, the representation thing, uh, the way that I would, I would phrase that is everybody does represent God to one extent or another. It's just, are you a good one or a bad one? Right? Right? Uh, do, you, do you do it well or do you not do it well um, the other ones are very uh, you know universal in, in, in those ways so any more questions on that alright so uh, we will come back to the image of God by the end of next week uh, we're going to talk the rest of this week about some basics of creation theology God as creator uh, and then we will return to talking about humanity um, i